So here's the question. In the print and packaging supply chain, how do we deliver new ideas and innovative practices to continually improve your profit, your brand, and your quality? Welcome to the Gamut Podcast, and I am your host, Jeff Collins, Director of Print Technologies for ID Alliance. We are a nonprofit global think tank serving the graphic communications industry with 12 offices strategically located around the world to better support our membership. You can support the Gamut Podcast and content like this by becoming a member at ID Alliance by going to www.idalliance.org. I would also like to thank Konica Minolta for sponsoring this podcast. They are a world leader in industrial and commercial printing and packaging solutions. With a comprehensive portfolio of production print offerings, Konica Minolta delivers the latest innovations in printing, applications, and expertise. In this episode of the Gamut Podcast, we have a very special guest, Ron Ellis of Ron Ellis Consulting. He is a print industry veteran with over 30 years experience in commercial print manufacturing. And Ron is an international consultant that specializes in color management, workflow integration, and press calibration. In addition to all of that, Ron is the volunteer chair of ID Alliance's Print Properties Think Tank and the Grackle Committee, which develops specifications for commercial offset lithography. He has trained thousands of people through the G7 Expert Certification courses, G7 Master Qualification, and is the key developer for ID Alliance's Brand Q program, which is a training and certification solution introduced by ID Alliance to improve communication between brand owners, print buyers, and print service providers. A critical need for the print and packaging supply chain. He has personally performed hundreds of G7 calibrations on the most challenging technologies like Rotogravure, Screen, Flexo, Digital, and Offset. Hey, Ron, good morning. How are you today? Hey, Jeff, doing good and good to talk to you as always. Yeah, as always, we talk pretty much uh, at least once a week now. We used to talk all the time back uh, uh, before I went to work for Konica Minolta and uh, doing all the stuff that we did on print properties early uh, on after you know G7 kind of proliferated. And uh, it's been a long time. So the new programs with ID Alliance and one of them uh, is the one that you led and it kind of bounced off of the uh, G7 process control certification program. And now we are doing the brand Q certification. And there's a lot of other things going on with the print properties committee. And for those that are not familiar with print properties, it is the real think tank inside of ID Alliance that produces a a, a whole lot of educational content, certification programs, uh, things that end up becoming ISO uh, specifications and standards and that kind of thing. But today, I guess, you know, I really wanted to pick your brain on how BrandQ started, how you came up with it, uh, who worked on it with you. And uh, now, currently, to the current state of BrandQ, we've uh, had many people go through the certification training, both online and on site. So kind of, you know, just start off, how did we get started with BrandQ and why did we start BrandQ? Yeah, so uh, let me start off and I can just talk for 10 seconds about uh, what I do. So I'm a consultant, uh, independent consultant. I don't work for ID Alliance. 
but I do a lot with Idea Alliance, a lot of volunteer stuff and a little bit of work too. So probably a third of my time, I'm in printing plants, working with printers and doing calibration and color matching. A third of my time, I'm with brands, working on how they prep files and their supply chain. And probably there's a good chunk of my time, I'm not sure how much, where I do uh, stuff with Idea Alliance and brand Q training, G7 expert training. And then I have a volunteer chunk of me that we used to work together on the Grackle Committee, Jeff. That's and, right. Uh, and right now I spend a lot of time working with print properties. So, And you're we, one of those guys, Ron, that has a, a an amazing work and life balance. I mean, you do a lot of volunteer activities with uh, BSA or Boy Scouts of America or Scouts. And then... Um, of course, all the activities that uh, I get inside viewed to Ron Ellis's life through social media. So I see you out on the slopes, skiing, all of those things. It's just amazing that you're able to put in the time and be a highly productive, successful individual in business as well. I mean, you know, you really were uh, one of the leading contributors uh, for Grackle. Um, G7, G7 Master Program, along with Don and everybody else that were on Print Properties Committee. And uh, you're out there doing test runs to validate and hone in things like the uh, extended color gamut project, as well as Brand Q. I don't know how you get it all done, but I just wanted to let the audience know we're talking to somebody. Well, it's amazing what you do. That's all I'll say, and I'll leave it at that. So, Picking up where you left off. Okay. Yeah. The uh, you know, the, and it's interesting. Those committees. I would, I'd like to put a word out about print properties in these committees. So, they're volunteer. Everybody on these committees is volunteer, putting in their time. Uh, we do phone calls every month. We do uh, a couple in-person meetings. But we have all these really neat projects, and this is where lots of really amazing things come out of. Uh, so if, if you're listening to this podcast and you have any interest in learning and being involved and in, in changing what the industry does, uh, it's it's about an hour a month. And then if you join into some of the volunteer activities, you put your own time in. But it's quite an education. You learn a lot and you get to hear the smartest minds in the industry and what they're thinking and working on. And I've learned so much from the people on these committees and, and enjoy working with them a lot. So that's a big part of what ID Alliance does. And uh some other time we can talk about that more, Jeff. Yeah, absolutely. So no worries. A lot of other stuff coming on. So the brand, the brand idea, which you asked about brand Q and where brand Q came from, uh, G7 Master Program has been really, really successful. So there are, you know, somewhere between three and four thousand G7 Master printers across the world, and one of the reasons that many of them are there is for the brand because brands require it brands are asking for this common printing and being able to print all over the world and get the same things but we we started to learn that uh you know for a brand just being a g7 master printer wasn't always enough uh partly because the brand doesn't always know how to communicate or prep or check out the printer and sometimes for the brand the requirements are even a little more uh, demanding than than G7 Master Print Program has. Right. So, so, so I just want to stop you there. So, in essence, the you know ISO specifications or even regional specifications like um, uh, G7 and near neutral uh, 
I mean, that's kind of a, a good base, but brands have additional requirements that could be custom and uh, don't fall into ISO standards or specifications or even regional specifications. Would you say that's correct? Yeah, that's correct. There's a few things about the way the brands work that that uh, are important. So the first thing is if you look at G7, you know, for a brand, that's a good qualifier. That means that the printer has gone above and beyond, that they've uh, focused on, you know, calibration, they've focused on a process. Uh, but there's a few things that brands typically have, and those few things that brands have, one is they're usually on a non-standard substrate. So it could be a packaging board or a poly right. or flexo type material. So very often they're there, which takes them a little outside of uh, the standard. And and then very often, you know, they have a tighter tolerance than general commercial printing. And so in this case, we would run into brands and brands would say, uh, you know, they said they were a G7 master printer. But, you know, when we went in and we asked them to do something, they didn't quite uh, understand what we were saying or you know, we began to see that there was a communication component here between the supply chain and the brand that that we could help and we could address. As we began to do this, as we began to work on it, we began to kind of see a formula for communication uh, about having the printer and the supply chain speak the same language. And that's a big part of what we do with right. the IQ. And one of the challenge, what, what are the challenges to make that uh uh, gap or the bridge that gap. I'm, I'm sure there's some designers, some creative, some brand owners that uh, have the mindset and the mathematical background to be able to understand all the geek. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, but that's what the perception is. Uh, the color geek talk, all the acronyms and things like that. So what do you guys do to make that understandable for the brand owners, designers and creatives? As we ran our first couple of brand Q classes, one of the sets of comments we got back from creative people was uh, we liked all the content, but whenever the experts in the room started really getting into a technical talk topic and geeking out on it, mm -hmm. you know, they were not enjoying that. They did not like that. But basically the first, one of these first parts is common language, you know, helping the, the brand to understand how to communicate to the supply chain. Right. And what are, what are some examples of that common language? So that common language, a good example would be uh, dealing with, you know, a spot color. What, how do we communicate what that spot color is and what the tolerance for that spot color is? You know, many brands wouldn't know how to do that. Uh, and then we were running into brands that might be doing it in LAB, but that's not quite enough information for, you know, the printer to be able to build that ink up and get that ink ready on different boards. And you're and talking like about that. somebody that's uh – formulating their own inks in-house or maybe has a uh, supplier that's taken that information in and formulated it for them. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking about, you know, how does the, how does the brand communicate what they want? And it's, it's kind of funny. Sounds like a really basic question, but if I'm a brand, how do I ask my supplier to give me something? You know, imagine I'm a brand and I have 20 printers or maybe I have a hundred printers. How do I ask that printer to give me the same thing? everywhere. So an example of that, if I'm the brand owner or the creative, I'm asking you to hit uh, PMS uh, 285, Pantone 285. Yeah. Is that enough? Uh, so it's not enough, right? Because it, then it gets into which version of the library, uh, which measurement condition, all this other type stuff. So this basic language part is a big part of brand Q, which is how do we you know, how do we teach the brands what to ask for? And 
how do they communicate that? Is it, is, is it a written document? Is it a bunch of data files? You know, how do they do it? And then we found that once we taught the brand, very often half the supply chain might understand what the brand is asking for, but maybe the other half of the supply chain isn't quite that up to speed either. So very often we found supply chain would need a little bit of help as well. You know, when we're talking about communicating the spot colors, what do you tell the attendees that are from the brand side, from the creative side, how they should communicate spot colors? The communication of spot colors, we're teaching uh, that we want to communicate with a CXF file with spectral data, if possible. Right. And, and why, why CXF over some other uh, file format or method of communication? Because that's the, you know, that's the common one that all the ink, ink formulation systems use in the spectros and software. So Understood. CXF is, well, it could be MIF or an older format that's going to be much more limited in the ability of people to read it and work with it. Now, if I'm a designer or brand owner and I have um, Adobe Creative Suite, um, what button do I push to get CXF, CXF? How do I communicate CXF data? Do I send them a file with the Pantone library? I mean, what, what does that look like? So that, it, it kind of depends. If it's a Pantone library, they're going to have it. We're going to tell them the version of the library to use, and we work that way. But if it's a custom color, then we're going to be sending the actual CXF file to them. So if we back up a little bit, like the big ideas of BrandQ, it's probably three big ideas. One is uh, communicate. We're teaching people how to communicate. Uh, the other one is educate. We're teaching the language of print and how to actually be able to talk about it and do it. And the third one is validate. We're teaching them how to audit and check their print supply chain. And we're also, Idealliance has auditing capabilities that some brands use for qualifying vendors at a higher level than just G7 Master. Got it. So again, let's Top, middle, bottom, what were those yep. three values of brand Q? Right, right. So, you know, the most basic level for a small brand uh, would be just communicating what you want. If you think about brand communication, until relatively recently for many brands, it would be a printed standard, you know, match what we did before or match this printed standard, mm -hmm. which, uh, which basically – is tough because that's a visual. Even if you were to measure that printed standard, it's changing. It's a visual. Right. And uh, that printed standard usually has a, an issue in that uh, until you print that printed standard, you don't really know what it is. So a lot of what we're working with for brands would be uh, design intent, which is spec these colors ahead of time before you get to the supplier, uh, proof these colors, design these colors, and produce something that a printer can print. So instead of going to a printing plant and building a sample that becomes your standard, uh, in many cases we're using the proofer to create the standard and the printer is matching it. And we have all sorts of checks where we check, uh, you know, ability of a printer to make a spot color via drawdowns and match the proof before we ever get way down to and, that part. But And how, how, how do you check? You, you just mentioned that uh, you have a method of checking yeah. Uh, whether they can, you know, perform. Right. So, so if what you, do think, you do? Of a, think of a brand that really cares about its color. So there's different levels of brands that I've worked with. Some, uh, you know, they don't care that much. They're more on the direct mail side. It's, it's coming out quickly. It's going to be looked at, thrown out. 
But there's other brands that are really, really focused on these colors. One of the interesting things, of course, with those type of brands is you could be at a really low Delta E, like one Delta E, and still have a visual mismatch. You know, something that they don't feel is their brand color, even though mathematically it's there. So uh, this first idea of design intent, you know, designing something that can be printed, we have them, you know, maybe they're picking their spring campaign colors or whatever. They're going to pick those colors. They're going to render those colors on the Epson uh, in their creative or design department or pre-media department. And they're going to get marketing to approve it and all that type of stuff. Uh, once they pick those colors, then they're going to go to their supply chain and get drawdowns. And they're going to make sure that those drawdowns can actually be matched, that there's a, you know, a match between those before they even begin designing and working with those colors. Uh, the drawdowns are inexpensive for a printer to make, and multiple suppliers can make them, and we can make sure that they look about the same. I don't want to so, go off on it. Yeah, I don't want to go off on a tangent here, but when we're talking about ink drawdowns and uh, there's different methods of doing drawdowns, do you talk yeah. to them and educate them on which method to use or what the leading practice is for drawdown? Yeah. So, you know, if you're talking about scraping versus, uh, you know, proof press, it would be on a on a proof press. We'd, we'd spec it. But, but this whole idea is uh, if you think about packaging, a lot of it's been getting on press adjusting the color there and kind of designing on press. And a lot of this whole brand Q effort is uh, if we can move it back into creative so they can predict what can be printed, they can design something that can be printed way, way back, way before they get to this larger supply chain. And then they can be assured that the supply chain can reproduce it. So it reduces press checks. It reduces designing on press. And then the standard at that point is digital, so it's it's not changing like a physical standard that gets scuffed up and and uh, you know dries back and changes color. Now, you mentioned efforts uh, through the BrandQ program to um, bridge the gap in communication between the brand owner and the print service provider. And I know a lot of these, I know in a lot of these courses that have already been conducted. That you have a mix. You have both print buyer, brand owner, print service provider, all in the same room. So you have the technical guys that are out there doing the stuff on plant floors. And then you have the print buyers that are working you know, with the brand and the print service provider. Then you have the brand and the creatives. Do you guys also basically do that in reverse where you're educating or you have content that educates the print service providers as far as design intent, brand management, brand equity? Yeah, no, I mean, this this works both ways. So one thing is, you know, a lot of what we're teaching the brand, a really good packaging printer might already know or they might not. So usually in these classes we have uh, maybe it's 80% brand and 20% supplier. Uh, the supplier needs to have the same knowledge that the that the brand has. And in some cases, you know, I've worked with some brands where – you know, the print buyer has gained knowledge over a couple of years, gained more knowledge than the printer. So we're, we need to make sure they both have the same understanding and, and both have the same knowledge. As you know, the technology is moving quickly and the things that we come out of print properties with and out of our committees with, they change the way people do work. We have these things like SCTV for spot colors. We're right. talking now about, you know, other other ways to make sure the color matches you know, using mm-hmm. hue angle, not just delta E and these other other types of things. So these are things that printers may not be used to 
And if a brand is going in that direction, then everybody has to understand the same thing. Outside of taking the brand Q course, where could they find uh, content to uh, to understand what SCTV is, CXF, if you're a print service provider and you have no idea what those things are? Yeah. So it's, you know, some of those things, because it's really interesting, but like SCTV came out of print properties, uh, CXF you know, came from X-Rate and then moved up through CGATS and right into ISO. But some of those things are pretty well documented. And just to stop you there, isn't uh, uh, spot color tone value calculation an ISO specification? It is, yeah. So, I mean, right. these, things are, these things are built into ISO standards. These things are also built into instruments and software. But if you're, if you want to learn about it, you know, the brand Q training is a, is a great overview uh, and in the second thing that's been, we've been trying to hit a lot of these topics on the brand Q webinars. So once right. a month we have a brand Q webinar, the yeah. next brand Q webinar coming up is on yeah. spectral data. Okay. Yeah. But the big idea, you can listen to the recorded ones because we hit a lot of these topics as well. And then of course mm-hmm. there's your local consultant or G seven expert. If they're up to speed on this type of stuff, we have brand Q experts and these are consultants who've been certified they've been through they understand these topics and if you were to grab one of your brand q experts you could you know be assured that they would understand these topics and be able to work with you on them the topics aren't super hard because they're pretty well supported by standards you know it's it's basically if you're in a printing plant and you're doing production you know you don't necessarily get a lot of education all the time so you may be using the procedure from five years ago and there might be a better way to do it there might even be tools on your instrument that you don't even know about, you know, can do a lot of this type of stuff. Right on. And then the, uh, you know, with microeducation, some of the stuff that we're doing currently with the ID Alliance, uh, with the different online training programs, very easy to access. And just so the listeners know, we have now a, a video library. They're simply do-it-yourself videos on these specific topics. So I just yeah. wanted to give that a plug. Yeah. So a lot of, you know, the reality of a lot of this is that you can, <laughs> you can learn a lot by reading and looking and, you know, ID Alliance website has quite a bit on these. So yeah. very often what will happen in this case will be, you know, I'll be working with a brand and I'll be called in and I'll go with the brand, you know, to one of their suppliers and I'll, I'll spend a day running through all these topics with them or working on it. Uh, they may, you know, they may choose somebody else. doesn't really matter who, but there's quite a few people who understand some of these topics. The brand Q experts um, who are, you know, same thing. They're manufacturers. They work for ink companies. They're consultants. You know, those individuals have been trained on these topics. They can go in. What are some of the success stories that you've seen come out of the program? Brand Q program, there's a couple of uh, great success stories. But if we look at it, you know, that launched about a, a year and a half ago. As we launched it, we did a bunch of trainings, you know, around the country in different locations and also overseas and in Asia. So we did a bunch of brand Q training. But what really came out of it was we ended up doing custom trainings. So we ended up doing trainings. We just did one in London. We've done them in other places for brands. There's there's one coming up in Dubai, I think. uh, Dubai was not a – that was like a summary. It wasn't like a custom training. Oh, okay. But there was – there was, there were, the, what came out of it is some of the biggest brands in the world came to us and said, we would like you to do a, a custom training for us. So they mm-hmm. get their staff together. Uh, we do the training. 
and then help them work on communicating and begin working with them to, to help them to communicate. So we've had uh, all sorts of brands who've attended it. A bunch of people have gone through the online version of it. But probably the big success stories would be these, you know, some of the largest brands in the world, you know, in the top, top 10 brands in the world. There's three of them that have gone through this training uh, and then implemented this, this exact concept. So the idea is, you know, learning how to communicate and then they go out to their supply chain, they communicate what they want and then they begin to check. Mm -hmm. so they begin to check and measure proofs, make sure that the brand's proofs match the supplier's proofs. And then depending on how big the brand is, there'll be various levels of checking the actual printed material. So a small brand would not check. They would communicate, maybe check proofs. Large brand will actually start getting, you know, dynamic live measurements from the brand. I mean, from the supplier as they're printing so they can check on the printed product. So what are some of the tools that a brand or creative or brand owner or creative would need to have to to execute this process of communication correctly? Uh, the, you know, the typical tools that a brand would need some way to measure. So they have to have measurement devices, some way to record uh, the measurements. So software for measuring and recording and printing reports and things like that. You know, those are the, the primary tools. Then it gets into, you know, for the designers, making sure that they're actually configured correctly. So, so not so much buying uh, things they don't have, but actually making I'm, better use of it. I, I kind of got lost there. I apologize. So you mentioned measuring devices. So should I use a densitometer, spectrophotometer? I mean, there's a lot of different measuring instruments out there on the market. So rules for instrument. Uh, and of course, think about brands. It's different for every brand, the needs they have. Uh, right. Some people are trying to measure plastic. Uh, mm -hmm. But in general, for you know regular print brands, it would be spectrodensitometer. So it's basically a spectro. And then process control software that we can use to record those measurements and keep track of them. Right. So with a brand, the best thing you know that they would like to do a lot of times would be quantify what happens, be able to do a report and show which suppliers are the better suppliers and which suppliers are maybe not performing as well so they can talk to them and help right. them. Right. So we've got uh, measuring instruments and you mentioned spectrodensitometers for, you know, typical print. What if I'm uh, printing on PET or some type of uh, flexible package uh, clear with uh, metallics? Would I need a spherical spectrophotometer or a different type of instrument to do that? Well, you know, one thing that's really, really interesting about this is that uh, what it comes down to is that or the big thing that's come out of this with doing this with a bunch of brands is the brand doesn't want to do the measurement. The brand might spot check. The brand might use it to create standards. But really, the best scenario is where the printer does the measurement and sends those measurements to the brand. You know, okay. if you think about this key concept here, the key concept is uh, we tell the printer what we want. And then the printer should produce it. And if the printer knows what they want, I mean, if the printer knows what we want and the printer can measure it, the printer should never ship us a bad product. So how does the printer hold themselves accountable to meeting those brand specifications? Um, are they sending a report from some type of solution that's been validated to meet the requirements uh, from the brand? Or are they sending electronic data? They're using like a uh, a print quality exchange format or PQX or all of the above. So the you know this so just to give this quick summary again, typically the print problems happen 
uh, QA, before they package a product, they'll reject it. They'll say the color is not correct. This product may have been shipped from somewhere, and it may have taken weeks to print, and you know, it's not something they can just reprint again. The big idea being if we communicate, you know, here's the color values that we want, we communicate that to that supplier, and before that leaves their building, they should measure it, they should check it, they should never ship something that's not correct. That could be as simple as a report, uh, so we they measure and they print a report out and staple it to the sheet. Or it could be, you know, dynamic, meaning as they're measuring, those measurements are automatically going to the brand where the brand and the printer can both see them. So there's a whole range of ways to do it. The most important thing is that the supplier measures and the supplier matches what the customer will buy before they print it and ship it. So a lot of these brand owners, print buyers are working somehow or in some form in the uh, consumer packaging industry, right? So we're talking about things that are on uh, shelves. I'm walking through a grocery store or a department store, that kind of thing, right? Or I could be receiving it through Amazon, whatever. It's a a package. I guess one of the challenges uh, for brands, I mean, the whole reason they're doing this is to keep that uh, brand equity up by keeping their brand colors consistent wherever they print, whether it's global or just regional. Now you have, you know, distributed manufacturers, print service providers that have 15, 20 plants across the United States, Europe. Is there an accountability process uh, within brand Q to validate whether or not, you know, actually going out to the stores and checking? There's a couple different ways. So within brand Q, uh, we put in some different audit tracks. So the first one would be uh, when somebody builds their spec, they communicate it to the suppliers and then they begin to check uh, and make sure that the proof of the brand and the proof of the supplier match. So the first thing is, are we looking at the same thing? Before we ever print anything, You know, do you understand what we're asking for? And some of what comes out of that is not just color, but some of what comes out of that is also the, uh, the communication. You know, do I like talking to these people? Are they argumentative? Are they defensive? Are they easy to work with? But that first check is that... Uh, If a brand is doing a lot of work, very often they'll do a print audit as well where they're going to do testing of the print. And then then, uh, in some cases we have brands that are using ID Alliance auditing facilities around the world, like our our partnership with RIT Mm and Taipei, where we'll actually have samples checked uh, at a higher level than G7 Master before that supplier gets onboarded. So there's a there's a whole bunch of different ways that that occurs, and it's really custom to the brand. There's no one way. A little right. brand, it's going to be quite simple. A big brand, it could be quite involved. It's no, there's no typical brand, right? Or a brand owner. They're, they they all have different requirements. So, I mean, I, I'm sure there's an average that there's you can average, extrapolate yeah. between them all. That are that you know there were where there's some common attributes, but yeah. uh, really it's arming them with the knowledge that you just mentioned and then having them apply it properly uh, within their own environment. One of the things that um, I'm speaking to a brand owner or brand manager is that uh, they get down the road so far with the design, the intent, et cetera, to come to find out that their project is not economical to produce. So a couple different things. So the first thing being, you know, many brands don't really see what the color will be till they go on press. So this whole idea oh. of a brand doesn't have a proofing system very often where 
with my customers. We're putting in a proofing system so they can design to that spec and they can see it, they can approve it, they can do all that stuff up front without having to wait for proofs or wait for the printer, especially if they have multiple printers. Um, so that's one part of it. The other part that you mentioned is there's also a, a, a packaging engineering component here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, can the box be produced? And a lot of times when you're auditing a packaging supplier, it's not only color. There's a quality aspect of it, and there's a packaging engineering aspect of it. And very often the packaging engineer does not care about color. They care about the glue flap not coming undone, the box right. not disintegrating, uh, no crease lines in a bag, all these type of things. But these are things that, that get audited. So the typical brand that would care about this would actually have an audit checklist and before they begin to do too much work, when they're onboarding, they're going to go through this list and they're going to make sure that the printer can do this. And on the creative end, they're going to start to take control of the color and be able to be responsible for the color and predict what it will be like way back in marketing instead of waiting until right you on. get to a plant. Yeah. You're talking about a color audit of a print service provider. Yeah. Um, there's lots of scoring systems as far as audits are concerned. It could be something as simple as... Uh, you know, run me a test form with, you know, all these technical charts. I'm going to read them in with my cool software and my, you know, high priced instrument. And then uh, I'm going to get, and then I'm going to get, uh, you know, well, I've got all I have 15 different metrics. I don't know what the hell they mean. You know, unless you're a, uh, a color scientist or a G7 expert, that's good. Uh, you may be able to understand that, but for a brand owner, I know there's simplification of these metrics yep. through scoring systems. Yep. Is there a scoring system in brand Q when we uh, brand owner does an audit? So very often it's not only color. So very often it's going to be things like, do you have the no- right number of units on the press? Do you have uh, scanners on your press? Uh, who did your G7 qualification? Was it done internally? Was it an expert You know, from outside? These type of things to try to figure out, are you competent? Do you have what you need to to do to be able to do it. So an audit is not only color. Um, a lot of times we're looking at, is this uh, facility able to do it? Do they have the expertise? Do they have the tools? Do they have the equipment? A uh, real common one, if you're you know, doing high-end packaging and I have you know, pretty stringent color requirements, if you don't have a closed-loop scanner on the press, how are you going to do it? You're Forget about gonna... it. Yep. You're not going to, uh, especially those tight tolerances. I listened right. to the webinar with Sandra Dearden from Lint Chocolate. It was you, yep. uh, her, okay. Danny Rich. And I forget the gent's name. He, he, I love what he had to say about Pantone swatch books because that's kind of a you know an issue with a lot of people. They don't understand oh, how to Kavini use them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. he uh, – but let me get back to – I was kind of aghast when I heard, and some of our packages require a Delta E of one. And I'm thinking, well, your instrument, yeah, that's scary as hell, especially if you're a, uh, you know, hey, I want the work, man. Yeah, I can do it. And then all of a sudden, you're struggling on make ready and throughout the run to maintain uh, Delta E of one when you're. You know, instrument has a uh, variation of, you know, let's say 0.05, right? Yeah. So you already cut that in half. I mean, you have to be, I mean, is it possible to maintain that? So part of what we talk about with with it is, uh, with the brands is machine capability. Yeah. Because there's a couple things that happen. You know, one is, of course, everybody wants like a crazy low Delta E number, but there's a couple things that happen. You know, quality costs more. So the higher you lower that, or I mean, the lower you 
drive that delta E, the harder it is for a printer and the more expensive it is for them to get that. Uh, so we talked about what can be done in your supply chain for the price you're willing to pay. And, you know, what can these machines do? The other thing that with a brand that's actually quite interesting, the economy is quite good in North America right now. If you're too difficult to work with, there's actually a chance that the printer is going to get rid of you. Right. That they're going to say, okay, let's send you to somebody else. They're going to go out of business business trying to make a uh, a reflex blue hit a Delta 01. Right. They have enough customers that they can do productive work on. If you drive your standard to be too tight, the first thing is you're going to notice they're not hitting it. When you start doing the measurements and looking at their measurements, you're going to see like, oh, these guys aren't hitting it. Well, maybe that's because you're – expectation is too tight and then the other part um you know is they may just refuse to work with you at that point there's a lot that goes into this communication when you walk out to a a brand and walks out to a supply chain and says hey we want you to do this it has to be doable it has to be doable at the price that they're paying so that's a big part of that whole thing of course everybody wants quality to be as good as it can be but it has to be realistic that's about it, Ron. Again, big thanks. I'm sure we'll have several more podcasts. As a matter of fact, we're going to do one at the Print Properties Committee, correct? Yeah, that's right. Right at the end of Print Properties, we're going to run through what we did and what's moving and what's happening. Right on. Yeah. Well, hey, man, awesome. have a great day and I'll let you go, okay? I'm going to go ahead and stop recording right now. Thanks for listening to the Gamut Podcast. If you have ideas, suggestions, or would like to join us or even sponsor future podcasts, simply email me at jcollins at idealliance.org. That's J-C-O-L-L-I-N-S at idealliance.org. Take care and have a productive day. Take care.